is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. And I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. By now, we're familiar with the symptoms of COVID, even if we didn't get it. You know, fever, cough, you lose your taste and smell. But now there's some other symptoms to watch out for. We'll look into why the FDA just doesn't go ahead and give full approval to the vaccines. And cases of COVID keep creeping up across the country. Are we entering another danger zone? Wearing masks and social distancing for the past year might actually have had a negative impact on all of us when it comes to our health. We start, though, with uh, headaches, other symptoms, and COVID. Dr. Kenzie Graves, internal medicine physician, hospitalist, University of Utah. Doctor, are you now seeing different kinds of symptoms? So I want to first start by saying that the patients I see are generally a lot sicker. So I'm not seeing people early on in their illness. The symptom change study you're mentioning is from the Zoe COVID study. And so basically that is an app that people can go in and self-report their symptoms. And so that, that's what we're seeing. Just to be clear, those are not the patients I see. Um, I reached out to our urgent care team and haven't heard back to see if that's what they are seeing. It would make sense that with the vaccine, people are getting less sick with COVID and may have more cold-like symptoms than the things we were warned about earlier, the high fever and the loss of uh, taste and smell. Yeah. So here's a question about that. Is this like breakthrough cases and the symptoms are different? Or is it that if you are out there and you're not vaccinated yet, or you don't have the full vaccination yet and you get the Delta variant, that Delta comes along with different symptoms or maybe both? I don't know that we have that level of granularity. So I think what we do know is that Delta is the predominant strain in certain parts of the United States. Utah, where I am, is one. It's also likely the going to be the predominant strain across the United States here very quickly. So I think the majority of COVID-19 that we are seeing is the Delta variant. We are seeing breakthrough cases. I'm not totally sure every single one of those is, is Delta. I'm also not totally sure that Delta is responsible for changes in symptoms, though the Zoe COVID study is a global study. So again, self-reported symptoms, if we say that Delta is predominant, you could infer that, but no one has studied that direct question that I'm aware of. Now, you said at the very beginning that you're seeing patients who are sicker, right? Uh, are they vaccinated, unvaccinated? Are they younger, older? Is there a, a difference in the kind of patient you're seeing now who's very sick as compared to, say, a year ago? Yes. So what we saw a year ago was mostly people that were older. So the average age of our hospitalized patient was somewhere in the 60s or 70s. Here in Utah, the majority of that age group now is vaccinated. So for us in Utah, people that are over 80, over 80 percent of those have received their full course of COVID vaccines. What we are seeing now is, is younger people and the vast majority of them are unvaccinated. So here in our state, it's 95% plus of um, hospitalizations deaths are people who have not gotten the COVID vaccine. There is a very rare sick breakthrough case, but that is not the vast majority. So what we see now is an age that's somewhere between 25 and 60, and that is different than what we were seeing before. So while there were small numbers of cases in younger age groups, this is the predominance that I have been seeing now. Charles mentioned the things that we were told to look out for at the beginning, right, that we all memorized, the fever, the cough, and also on that list came to be loss of taste and smell. Has that one kind of fallen off the board a little bit? 
It depends on really who the person responding to the Zoe COVID study was. And so with the Zoe COVID studies, I mentioned self-reporting. So people that were vaccinated had a little bit different symptoms than people that were not. Loss of taste and smell was less common than it was earlier. I don't think that means it's completely gone. The other thing I'll say is that even with the native strain of COVID, not everyone got a high fever. So there were studies at that time saying that about half of people had fevers. And so I I think the point I would make here is that the Delta variant is almost twice as transmissible as the native variant. I think if you have any symptoms, so headache, runny nose, not feeling well, fatigue, muscle aches, considering that you might have COVID is a, a good thing and getting tested is a good thing. Let me go very quickly back to something that you said that I, I find interesting, because uh, you're saying that compared to a year ago, it's a younger younger population. They tend to be unvaccinated and they are sicker. But of course, last year, nobody was vaccinated. So that would suggest that something else has changed, wouldn't it? I think there's a lot that's changed. So the world has changed. So a year ago, all of us were buckled down at home. And if we were out socially, we're wearing masks. Right now, a lot of the world is open and looks a lot like the COVID pandemic is over, which it is not. And so with a virus that is more transmissible and with what we know, public health measures that work falling by the wayside, more people are likely getting sick. Dr. Kenzie Graves, hospitalist, internal medicine physician, University of Utah Hospital doctor. Thanks. The FDA is still dragging its feet when it comes to giving full approval to the COVID vaccines. And this has us all wondering why. Yeah, no problem in approving that Alzheimer's drug that some doctors say doesn't really work. But what about the vaccines? Dr. Erwin Redlener, director of the Pandemic Resource and Response Initiative, professor of health policy management at Columbia. So, doctor, the vaccines have gone into tens of millions of arms. So where's the approval? Yeah, well, it's another kind of uh, unresolved question. And a lot of people in the field uh, don't exactly understand what the holdup is. But, you know, theoretically, the what all these drugs and tests and whatever have uh, gotten from the FDA to date is the so-called EUA, Emergency Use Authorization, which is a kind of a, a, a stamp of approval, but on a very preliminary uh, level, waiting for more results to come in. Specifically, though, with vaccines, if we're looking for longer-term complications from the vaccines, that would be a, a, a pretty legitimate reason to wait. If there's any suspicion that you know, it wasn't just after two months, but after six months or nine months, there were, there were complications. Uh, there might be that might be the justification for holding off on the full, uh, you know, the full approval. That said, um, you know, we we really need to get this drug out there, and not only in the U.S. but uh, around the world. So, uh, and some people are actually reluctant to take the shot because they say it doesn't have full approval. Well, I was yeah. I, I was going to say no. I, I was going to make that that point that that yeah. uh, isn't it a balance now between what you were saying before that that maybe the FDA wants to wait a lot more time yeah. just in case there are side effects that are not apparent in six months or a year maybe they're apparent in three maybe they're not apparent for ten years who knows right uh, well they wouldn't wait for it, but they might wait for a year or two okay but you have to balance yeah. that right against yeah. people who are saying we don't want to get vaccinated. Because it's experimental. Yeah, it's not exactly experimental, though, because the data they have to establish safety and efficacy at this point to get the EUA is really pretty good. 
and there's no reason to think that it's that anything horrible is going to materialize in a couple of years from now. But you know, that's a process that they have to approve of. Yeah, I mean, are they looking at the same stuff that they looked at the first go around? Because it would be that same kind of data. It's just on a longer term basis. So if you're not waiting for some side effects in a year or two years, yeah. you're looking at all the same kind of info. Yeah. But, you know, the, the fastest uh, development and, and full approval of the vaccine happened with mumps decades ago, the childhood disease mumps. And that took four years for full approval. So on the other hand, that was not a pandemic that killed 600,000 people in the United States alone. So, yeah, there's a lot of competing factors here. Uh, you know, I don't, I'm not sure how much we want to push the FDA uh, other than that point you guys are making, which is that if you are reluctant because you're waiting for full approval, I kind of get that. But you don't want to die in the meantime of COVID. COVID cases are moving up across the country. Many hotspots are in areas with low vaccination rates. Yeah, even places with high rates, you know, L.A., San Francisco, cases are creeping on up. So we're back with Dr. Red Leonard. Um, different now with the Delta variant. If you avoided earlier COVID, I mean, this one is going to find you. It's a different ballgame. And what's so striking, guys, is that, uh, you know, the correlation between getting really sick and, and deaths from COVID is completely related to whether you're vaccinated or not. So if you are vaccinated, even fully vaccinated, you might get an infection, but it would be mild or maybe asymptomatic. If you are not vaccinated, the chance of you dying compared to somebody else who gets the infection who is vaccinated is really, really high. 99 plus percent of the deaths with COVID in these last couple of weeks are uh, COVID variant uh, strains uh, in people who are not vaccinated at all. I, if that's not a good enough warning for people, I really don't know what is. I was going to say, uh, how do you think uh, you can get that message across? Maybe the better way to ask that is, what are we doing wrong? And I mean everybody in in the yeah. messaging that I hear people all the time who say who are, are you know not interested in getting vaccinated, and they say, oh, but I know somebody you know down the street and they yeah. got vaccinated and they got COVID anyway, so there. Is basically right. what they say. So, I'm, you know, this is this is an old story in public health. So everybody knows somebody who smoked till they were 90 and didn't get lung cancer. Uh, or, uh, you know, a lot of people don't get the annual flu shots because, you know, they've never had it before. Or, you know, it, it just it doesn't resonate. This situation, though, uh, it's really, really important that people pay attention to it. And I'll tell you, one of the more striking pieces of information is the fact that the lowest uh, vaccination rates in the country and states are in states that that voted uh, for Trump. You can do what you want with that, but there's a lot of uh, serious skepticism uh, on the states and people leaning right and leaning left. I don't know what, how you want to interpret that, but I, I think there are political reasons, there's ideological reasons, there's people that believe in cults and conspiracies and that's a tough message because even if you say to them, you might die if you don't get vaccinated, that it's not enough to overpower some of these other more subtle reasons why people are refusing to get vaccinated. So if you're convinced that this is a, you know, Biden conspiracy to do whatever to people uh, to get vaccinated, uh, then I think it's going to be very difficult to convince you on medical basis that you uh, should get vaccinated. Saw somebody writing the other day saying, well, you know, if there's all this resistance in, in red states, uh, Donald Trump got the vaccine. So did Melania. Yeah. So where's the PSA with him there saying, no, really, guys, go and get this thing. You know, it's funny you mention that uh, because 
I'm actually in the process of drafting an op-ed that says Donald Trump and Joe Biden were in a very effective partnership to get the vaccine. So, you know, the, the warp Operation Warp Speed that Trump employed to get it made, and then Biden's highly effective campaign to get it out there. They're actually partners. That's going to make them both cringe, but uh, <laughs> that's, the, that's the fact. That, you know. are, are we at the point, and maybe we should have been at the point even earlier, of mandatory vaccinations? Well, I think so, but the federal government is not going to do that. However, private sector can do that. Every, every organization that runs arenas or sporting events or uh, every hospital, they can tell people they're allowed legally to say, listen, you're not coming to work here if you're not vaccinated and we need proof of it. And I think if we see more and more of that, I think it'll get, uh, the word will get out in a different way than just coming from a government uh, resource. So, so yeah, I think uh, I, I would be totally in favor of that approach, which is an employer's demand that people at work are coming back or coming back to work can show that they've been vaccinated. All right. Dr. Irwin Redliner there, Columbia University. Doctor, thanks so much for coming back on the show. One of the benefits of social distancing and mask wearing is that many people say they avoided getting sick with other viruses that cause colds and the flu. That was nice, right? No sniffles and uh, you weren't coughing all the time. Turns out the immune system needs to practice, though. More people are getting colds now. Dr. Andy Pekosh is a molecular microbiologist, immunologist at Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. So, doctor, they call this immunity debt. What is that? What it means is, even though with a disease, let's say like influenza, we have vaccines, um, but the fact that people get infected every year contributes to the general immunity that we have as a population. So when we go a year or two years without seeing a virus, um, more and more of the people don't have that immunity, that strong immunity to protect from infection, which means more and more of us would be susceptible to infection if that virus comes back. So those COVID-19 public health restrictions seem to have worked even better against viruses like influenza, RSV, and the common cold viruses. And so now that we're lifting those restrictions, uh, we really are being really careful about monitoring for these other diseases to see if they're going to make a resurgence in the population. Yeah, because we went through this whole thing, and then even some people go through normal life just trying not to get sick. That's the thing. I don't want to get sick. I don't want to get sick. Well, we're, we're supposed to pick up things here and there, even if we don't really realize it, right? It's supposed to test us, and that's how we, we build things. Like, let the kids play outside, that kind of stuff. Yes, absolutely. To some extent, every time we get exposed to a virus that builds our immunity, it makes our next exposure to the virus less severe or sometimes even without symptoms. And it helps sort of build that broad-based immunity that we have. But it is important to note that with many infectious diseases, you do need a little bit of stimulus every couple of years to make sure that those immune responses are still strong and that they can bounce back relatively quickly. And again, that's one of the things that we're afraid that we're now um, lacking when it comes to some of our standard winter respiratory viruses. Well, of course, you have people who are now saying, you know, even if you take COVID off the table, you know, uh, fully immunize the whole thing, uh, we're never going to take our masks off ever again because we liked not having colds for the past year and a half and we don't want to ever have them again. Good or bad idea? I, I don't think it's a bad idea at all. 
I think that we get exposed to things normally um, in a relatively high level to keep your immune system stimulated. Um, I think anything we can do to limit the spread of some of these respiratory viruses is going to be good. Uh, because let's remember that while most of the population, uh, if they get a common cold, if they get influenza, um, you know, won't have very severe disease, there are always subsets of the population that uh, can get very, very severe disease and are more prone to that severe disease. Um, the common cold virus that most of us just just sort of shrug off, that can be a stimulus in people with asthma for some severe asthma attacks. Um, Influenza in the elderly populations and young children can be extremely dangerous. So we've got to think about the population as a whole and limiting spread in the population to prevent those subsets of the population that are going to be suffering from these severe um, effects of infection. And if you're not in the subset and it's been the last few weeks and you've had your mask off and you start to realize that as soon as that thing came off, you thought you caught something or your allergies were bad or you got some sniffles, um, don't necessarily freak out? Absolutely. I think many infectious disease hospitals, medical centers are now getting prepared to do what's called multi-testing, meaning that you submit one sample and we'll test it for flu, for RSV, for COVID, for all those things. In most parts of the country, um, you know, COVID is on its way down, although we could do better with COVID vaccines to really reduce those cases more. But in the future, it'll be relatively straightforward for you to get a diagnosis if you, if you have some sort of respiratory symptom and so you know for sure if you've got some other disease or if you have COVID-19. Dr. Andy Pikash, molecular microbiologist, immunologist, Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. Doctor, thanks. Teenagers are a creative bunch. Some have figured out how to fake a positive COVID test by using soda, you know, pop, social media videos with the hashtag fake COVID test show people applying various liquids to rapid antigen COVID-19 tests. Researchers in Britain tested it out. All four liquids tested with artificial sweeteners produced negative results in rapid COVID-19 tests, as did, as did uh, spring water. But 10 of 14 soft drinks produced positive or weakly positive results with no apparent link between the test results and the soft drinks ingredients. This is an Odyssey original. Find us and other podcasts on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Stitcher.